When our enemies come against us, when friends betray us, when horrific things and terrifying things happen to us at the hands of others, how will we respond? Our natural desire and inclinations are to take justice and all matter into our own hands, to make them pay for what was done against us. But one of the most hard to swallow teachings of Jesus in his day was how to treat his enemies and how we treat ours. You know, how he treated his enemies was one of the most testimonial parts of his life. While he was hung on a cross for things he never did, he uttered the words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And this perhaps is one of the hallmarks of his ministry. But yet, if we are his disciples and we are betrayed, we are, metaphorically speaking, crucified for things that we've not even done. How do we respond to those who put us on that cross? This moment in our life, when this happens to us, is a test of our faith. It's a test of how much we truly believe what we say we do and how much we truly love God and trust him when he says vengeance is mine. The story of Jacob and Esau is perhaps one of the most beautiful stories that illustrate the power of forgiveness. Even though Jacob stole Esau's birthright when they were younger, Years later, when Jacob and Esau meet again, Jacob is afraid that Esau will come and kill him and his offspring. Even though God promised that Jacob's offspring is part of the Abrahamic promise. But yet, when the moment arrives, Jacob receives forgiveness as God changes the heart of Esau. And so, This story then continues with a strange contrast, because even though Jacob's family has received mercy and forgiveness from Esau, what would happen next is that they would make a new enemy, the Hivites. Dinah would be taken and humiliated. Many believe this to mean that she was raped by Shechem against her own will without consent. And after this, we see Jacob's sons respond in a very interesting way. We could pick up this story in Genesis 34, verse one. Now, Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had born to Jacob, went out to see the women of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, the prince of the land, saw her. He seized her and laid with her and humiliated her. And his soul was drawn to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. He loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. So Shechem spoke to his father Hamor, saying, Get me this girl for my wife. When Jacob's sons return, they come with a strange proposal. They say that Dinah can marry Shechem, the Hivite, if Shechem and all of his household and people would get circumcised 
just as Jacob and his sons are circumcised. On first glance, it seems as if though they're making plans to join these two families as long as they, as the Hivites convert to following the God of Israel. Even if this was the idea, would such an idea work? Is circumcision that of the outward? See, Scripture teaches us that it takes more than a simple act, such as circumcision, more than a simple act of just going to church every week, more than a simple act of not swearing or being nice to people. See, our outward expression of our faith, whatever that outward expression may be, it's a beginning and it's wonderful. However, the scripture teaches us that there is a inward circumcision, a cut in the heart that needs to happen, not just one in the flesh, not just a change in the flesh. And that's why we see in the book of Acts chapter two, after Peter got up and spoke and the Holy Spirit was on them and the Holy Spirit came on the people in that room. It is written that they were cut to the heart. In other words, there was a change in the heart and that change can only occur when the Holy Spirit cuts that heart. This is a picture of how must we must be so reliant on the spirit to do the work. We cannot force other people to change their ways in this way or that way. And then they're going to start following God unless they have an encounter with the living God, a cut in their heart to change and follow him. Nothing that we can tell them otherwise will mean much. And so what does this mean? It means that it's not just about having a talk and a debate and and forcing a people or a person to do something and changing their way. But it must be a demonstration of the spirit of God that would encounter that person. Just like Paul said, I did not come to you with just wisdom and my knowledge, but with a demonstration of the spirit so that your faith would not be in a man, but in the spirit of God. And so we must pursue for our lives to have this demonstration of the spirit of God so that people, when they see our lives and they see the love and the compassion that we have for them, even in their sin, and most of all in their sin, that they would perhaps receive the mercy to be pierced in their own hearts too, for them to be changed just as we were. But as we read on with the story, we soon realize that Even though on surface level, it seems that Jacob's sons were trying to have these Hivites come into the covenant with God, that was actually not the purpose of this whole deal at all. In fact, when we read Genesis 34, 13, it says the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and his father Hamor deceitfully because he had defiled their sister Dinah. See, the sons of Jacob dealt with the Hivites deceitfully because this forceful circumcision of the flesh upon that household was all just a part of an elaborate plan. See, after uh, Shechem 
and his household got circumcised while they were in a period of hurt and pain. The sons of Jacob came one day with the sword through that town. They attacked them and they killed many of the men of that household. When Jacob got wind of what happened, he assembled his sons and he told them the following. Genesis 34 verse 30, Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have troubled me by making me obnoxious among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And since I am few in number, they will gather themselves together against me and kill me. I shall be destroyed, my household and I. But they said, should he treat our sister like a harlot? Jacob's sons, they seem to be making a good point. Should we just allow them to treat Dinah like a harlot? I mean, I mean, brothers and sisters, I mean, it's it's true. Like what was done against Dinah was incredibly perverse. It was so disrespectful against Jacob's household. It was such a a betrayal. And and what what about Dinah? She got raped. She got what what means of hurt does this do to her? What trauma does she experience? And and not only this, but in that culture, a woman's virginity in some ways could be considered her everything as sad and inappropriate as that concept even is. It, it was a reality in that culture. And yet this is what the sons were saying. Should we just let him do that? What did you expect us to do? Just let him get away with that. And so I would like for us to take a moment to explore. I mean, were they right? Were they correct in what they did? You maybe you say, well, yeah, they did a horrible thing against her. They raped her. Uh, Shechem raped her. And certainly they deserve retaliation. Kill them all, you may say. Or maybe on the other camp and you, you may say, well, I don't know. That seems extreme. I mean, what, a rape is incredibly t horrible. But yet, is it good to return and retaliate it in that way? You see, there was abuse that was done against Dina. And, and, and an incredibly horrible thing beyond words. But yet, is it good to return evil for evil? And if the daughter was hurt, would it be appropriate to now to go and destroy the men, the sons of the Hivites? Would that be what Yeshua did? But is it not so that it was written that they did this in the Bible and therefore it, it automatically means that God approved of it? Well, not all things written in the Bible means that God put his stamp of approval on it. A lot of horrific things that happened were there to teach us something. And I want to submit to you that this is one of those stories. Not everything here went according to God's plan. So how should Jacob's sons have reacted to this horrific thing done to their sister? Well, first off, what is interesting about this story 
is that Jacob's sons never sought God's guidance for a second on what to do after this happened. In fact, they were so stirred up in their anger, it seems as if that's where their decision making flowed from. But perhaps this is not shocking, because when we read on in the story, we realize that there was a lot of idolatry happening in the house of Jacob. For example, in Genesis 35, verse 2, we read, And Jacob said to his household and all who are with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you, purify yourselves, and change your garments. Repent. Jacob's household was full of idolatry, worshipping false gods. If we claim that we are in relationship with God, and yet we worship other gods, Is that not a form of adultery when we profane the covenant that he has made with us? And yes, it is. Jacob's household was in adultery, if you will. But yet they wanted to quickly point a finger when someone is done wrong against in their own household. Yet while they are adulterers against God himself, It does not take away from the horrific thing done against Dinah. But my point is simply that in their own sin, they did not one second even stop to think about what God has to say about dealing with the situation. Could it be that they were perhaps too concerned with themselves and their own gods that they forgot to even ever consult God, too wrapped up in their emotions and their anger, They would not even stop to consult his voice. How can we even have a sense of justice that is accurate if we do not follow God with all our hearts, but if our household is divided? You see, what is also quite telling is that Jacob's sons make no mention of Dinah. How is she doing? Who is taking care of her? Is she okay? Where is she in this story? We hear of her being transgressed against and nothing again. It seems as if though Jacob's sons were more concerned with what was taken from them than about their sister. In these days, a woman's virginity was like a family possession quite costly, something that is to be purchased by another man. Not only that, there is also a family honor attached to it. So when Shechem humiliated Dinah, we see that this family honor was taken and transgressed and this family possession of her virginity was taken. The first priority in a situation like this has to be that she is protected that she is cared for, that she's okay, that that there's going to be a support for her traumas. We don't read any of that. And yet, what should they then have done? What should have the the correct procedure of Jacob and his sons? What, What should it have been? Paul says in Romans how we are to respond to our enemies when they do horrible things against us. Now, before I read this, I want you to just consider that what I'm about to read may seem 
crazy. I like, like what? You know, kind of, isn't it okay for someone to pay for, to, to, for there to be justice? And yes, there is. And yes, there will be. God is a God of justice. But consider God's words. Romans 12 verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. As I mentioned briefly, in the story of Jacob and Esau, we see that Esau showed Jacob mercy, even though Jacob stole his birthright, his most prized possession, if you will. And yet now in this next generation, the story with Jacob's sons, when something was stolen from them, their response was very different from Esau's. Their response was to respond to evil with evil. And brothers and sisters, the deepest part of this is the phrase, vengeance is mine. God says, vengeance is mine. And, and for some of us, that's a very hard thing to think about and consider. That, that if someone does something horrible against me, they steal something from me, they hurt someone I love, whatever the case is, how can it not be okay to take justice into our own hands? But see, as a believer... A follower of God, God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. They will be subject to the wrath of God. But I guess the question for us all is, do we have unbelief? Do we have unbelief that, well, what if God isn't as just as I hope he is? What if God doesn't actually repay them the way that I want them to be repaid for the evil that they did? What if God just lets them get away with it? And see, this is the question we need to face is, is do we trust God? Because if we don't trust God, we will surely take vengeance into our own hands. And when we do take vengeance into our own hands, we have just as much unbelief as the sons of Jacob. And we are busy with idols. Because if you are not busy worshiping God, if you are not busy believing in him, who do you believe in and what do you believe in? What do you follow and what is your God? Because God says that if, if I am your God, if you want to follow me, you need to act like I acted. And you did a lot of things against God yourself. I did a lot of things against God myself. We put God on the cross. And as we did, he cried out, forgive her, forgive him, forgive them all. If they don't know what they do. We must be careful of the severity by which we judge. Oftentimes, when we are quick to judge the way that Jacob's sons did, it's because we're busy in sin ourselves. 
Not always, but oftentimes. Jacob's sons were busy in idolatry. His household was busy in idolatry. That's why they were quick to fall into sin themselves when they were to try and judge for themselves. But the one who is in covenant with God, who loves God and who is close to him, they will judge rightly and they will love rightly. You see, at the end of the day, what we need to do is we do need to love. We do need to look at our enemies. And as Paul wrote, it is by giving him something to eat, something to drink, that we will heap burning coals on their heads. In other words, it is by our care and love for them, despite them being our enemies, that they will be ashamed for what they do against us. It's that moment where we create opportunity for the Spirit of God to come and do something in the hearts of those people. But my question is, do you want the Spirit of God to actually come and change their hearts? And if not, why not? If you struggle to pray for them to be encountered by God, why is that? How could you hate them that much? You could argue I can because what they did was so bad, so horrible. But in the same way, if you do not wish to grant any bit of mercy, even in the hope of them encountering God one day, how can you expect God to treat you with the mercy he has and that he has encountered you in your sin? He has encountered you in your departure from him through your own betrayals of him throughout your life. And yet God was patient. And even though you deserve to be killed, even though you deserved what Jacob's sons' enemies, the Hivites, even though what happened to them, we all deserve. How can it be that we point the finger at others when people we point the finger at their people who don't even know what they're doing? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. And so often people who do not know God have no idea what they're doing because they're lost. They do not know their right hand from their left. But only if they knew God, only if they encountered him, could he not change them just like he changed you, just like he changed me. And so, brothers and sisters, today I'm not talking about a I'm not giving you a message of injustice. I'm giving you a message of that vengeance is the Lord's. He will repay The justice belongs to him, that we protect our families, we protect ourselves. We do what is necessary to protect our households. But when it comes to vengeance, God says that is my domain. Ultimately, we are much less different from our enemies than we may think. Our sins are the thing that simply looks different. And that thought should really inspire humility in us to consider the forgiveness that's been afforded to us. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would come with your Holy Spirit and help us to trust in you as the avenger of the helpless, the avenger of those who have been wronged against, whether it's us or our families. Father, we trust that you are the holy judge. Lord, I pray, Father, that you would come and help us to forgive, help us to rid ourselves of the bitterness that have that have strangled us to this day. Father, we today choose, Lord, to forgive our enemies, those who have wronged us. And Father, we ask, Lord, that you would make us clean and whole, 
And Father, we pray for our enemies that they would encounter you for all that you are. We pray all this in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah. A special thank you to our partners who have made this video possible. If you'd like to partner with the ministry, you can partner with us on riseonfire.com. Many blessings and shalom.